I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking and walking through the book of Galatians together. And uh, this is a good place for us to sit down for a while, especially coming after the resurrection. Uh, that what the words that Paul will share with us over the next several weeks are very, very informative to us. Um, Paul was the author of this book, and uh, he teaches us an awful lot about freedom from the law, that it wasn't just a, that freedom from the law wasn't a license to sin, but it was a license for us to be able to live in freedom. And uh, he writes this book specifically, and we're going to talk to whom he wrote it to, and why did he write this book? Because it comes at a, at a great time in, in Christianity. Um, and so as we, as we walk through this, we're going to probably walk through it a little bit differently than anything that you've ever experienced. And one of, the ones, one of the things that I want to encourage you to do over the next several weeks as we do walk through this book is I'd really encourage you to sit down and just read. Read along with us. Um, next week we'll finish out chapter 1. This week we're going to go through verse 10. But I just encourage you just to read as we walk through just make a commitment just to read these passages of Scripture along with your daily, devi daily devotionals. It won't take you very long to sort of work through, but, it'll, through, but it'll, it'll keep you sort of involved in where things are at and where we're going. But this letter is from Paul, starting off in Galatians chapter, chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul. And I don't know of any person um, um, beside Jesus that would have a stronger impact in Christianity itself. I mean, outside of what Jesus did, Paul probably had more impact in Christianity than anybody else that has ever lived. Uh, this is a guy, and Paul wasn't always his name. Some of you have grown up in church, and you know that his name was Saul. He was named after King Saul. He grew up in a very strict family. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he was born in Tarsus about the same time as Jesus. He was, uh, like I said, raised in a very strict Jewish home, and he was trained to, under some of the best teachers of his time, rabbis, one of those being Gamil. Uh, and he grew up as a Pharisee, and he would name himself even to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, in other words, the top of that list, a, a keeper of the law. And as a religious leader, he would fight against anything, anything that threatened Judaism. And if you remember, that was one of the reasons that the Pharisees wanted Jesus put to death because they felt that he was a threat to what they believed and what they had taught. And so here was Paul in the midst of all this that takes place in the beginning of Christianity, being a persecutor of Christians. And we saw in, in the beginning of Acts where he was there actually uh, and approved of what took place with the stoning of Stephen. And then when he's on his way to persecute more Christians and looking out, wanting to destroy the Christians that were believers in Christ, we see where Paul himself had, a, had an experience where um, Lord Jesus Christ, after the resurrection, appeared to him personally there on the road to Damascus. And it was at that time that Paul's life was completely changed because he came face to face with the good news of Jesus Christ. His life was transformed. And so here you got this guy that goes from persecuting the church, persecuting the believers, to all of a sudden writing a majority of the books that we find in the New Testament. Here's a guy that goes from persecuting Christians, from, from persecuting Christians to planting churches. There was a tremendous transformation that took place. One day this guy's a murderer of believers. The next day he's talking to them about Christ. And this guy's name would be known as Paul. Paul. 
He goes on to say, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. Now, I don't know how you would describe yourself. Matter of fact, this is probably a good, good place to stop just for a second and to ask, how do you describe yourself when, when you introduce yourself to people? Dane, when, you, when, you, when you're making that sale or when you're getting to know somebody, how do you describe yourself? Hello, my name is, my name is Dane and I... Well, I work with CenturyLink. Do you ever talk to them about your family? Do you ever talk to them about your past? Do you ever talk to them about how you ended up at CenturyLink? There's quite a few. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gus, I mean, here, here you go, man. You're with Seco. So how do you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is... Gus, I'm with Seco. You're your power company. You're only power company. You're glad that I'm here to see you today. <laughs> I mean, but when you introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself? So Paul says, listen, as he's writing this letter, and we'll get into this a little bit later. Hello, my name is Paul, and I'm writing you this letter, and he says, I'm an apostle. He calls himself an apostle, and the word apostle means one sent, a messenger. And Paul is saying, listen, he said, I have, I have come, I have been sent here with orders. Some people today call themselves apostles, but a real apostle was somebody that was an eyewitness, somebody that walked with Jesus, had been given the authority from Jesus to teach and to preach. The Bible also talks about the gift of apostles. There were apostles and there were preachers and there were evangelists and there were teachers. And, and they, were, they were given, that gift was given to the church to build up the church. The apostles in that sense were missionaries that were sent out to tell the good news. Paul says, I'm an apostle. I was sent out by the authority of Jesus Christ to be sent out into a place that people didn't know the Lord and to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, to equip the church. But there were true apostles, and then there were false apostles. So a true apostle would have been one sent by God. Who was a false apostle? false apostle would have been sent by who? By Satan himself. A true apostle would, would teach God's word, would teach the truth. A false apostle would twist the truth, would contort the truth. A true apostle would glorify God. A false apostle, Eric, would glorify themselves. A true apostle would bring peace and harmony among God's people. And listen, a false apostle would bring division. Wow. And Paul is saying here, listen, I am a true apostle. And he goes on to say, I wasn't appointed by any group of people or any human authority but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul was saying, listen, I wasn't sent by man, but I was sent by Jesus Christ who changed my life on that road to Damascus. And I'm here speaking to you today on his behalf, not on my behalf. I don't know if you've ever read the, the resume of this man by the name of Paul, but if you go back later on down the line, this man would walk through an awful lot because of what he believed took place in his life. I mean, if you want to flip over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you read this guy's resume. This is a pretty strong resume. A pretty strong resume. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is. Later on in this guy's life, this is a this is what he had been through as he followed Christ. 
in verse 23, 24. I've, I've worked harder, this is later on, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rod, rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, Jews as well as the Gentiles. This is a guy that had no place to lay his head. I mean, think. Think about that. Think about the fact that who he was before he came to know Christ and then after Christ. He says, I face danger in the cities and the deserts and in the seas, and I face danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and often I've gone without food, and I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Why? because his life was transformed on that road. Something took place that gave him the soundness of mind to live for Christ through all kinds of adversity. And you think that you've suffered for Christ? Wow. This is a guy that I'd want to listen to. It's a guy that I'd want to pay attention to because he says, my authority comes where from? We're from Jesus Christ alone. In verse 2 he says, And all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches at Galatia. At Galatia. Those that had trusted Christ uh, were part of the family of God, and that's why he uses the word brothers and sisters. My, all the brothers and sisters, all the believers here, all those that are part of God's family. And see, that's what God's, God's family, those that have trusted Christ are part of God's family and God's the Father. And we're brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins. And you know, that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. It restores relationships. It restores our relationship with God. It restores our relationship with one another. It al allows us the opportunity so that we can act like a family and treat each other like a family that we can love each other and serve each other and encourage one another. And Paul used the works to build, he used these words, build up one another. And that's what the gospel does. It brings together God's family so that we can live in intimacy and in friendship as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Paul says, listen, and all the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to you in Galatia, to those in Galatia. So Paul is, is writing this letter not just to a church, but a group of churches a group of churches that he has been to, and we would call it in that present day what we would say to be Turkey. I think it's somewhere like between Greece and Syria, if you were to look at a world map. It would be like me writing a letter back one day, say I'm in Alaska, and writing a, back, a letter back here to say the people, the churches of Central Florida, to those churches I've had a relationship, to those churches that I've had an opportunity to meet, I'm writing this letter to you from the brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm writing a letter back to you. And so Paul, um, at a time in his life when he was at Antioch, he and, he and Barnabas had been sent out to plant churches on behalf, and they had, the church had dedicated and committed and sent them out to plant churches. And that's where Paul first came into relationship with the churches there at Galatia. It would be like um, us sending, say, Byron and Kim, Brian and Kim out to say to another place and sending you guys out as missionaries and we send you guys out as, a, as an apostle, I guess you could say. 
And we send you out with the opportunity of saying, we want you to go and we want you to share God's truth because of the transformation that's taking place in your life because you've met Jesus. We want you to take that message and we want you to go to an area where there's not, a, not been a, 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 a gospel that's being preached. And we want you to go and we want you to establish the church there and tell the gospel. And so you guys go and you start building an intentional relationship. You look for a person of peace and begin talking with them and, and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. It's almost like the exact same thing that Clint and Missy are doing in Poland. And that's one of the reasons that you guys are going. You're going to encourage, as brothers and sisters here, you're going there to encourage them this summer to be part of what, they've, what they're involved in because they're planning the church. They're, they're being involved in telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas had, had left Galatia. And after they had left Galatia, to give you a little bit of an idea, after they had preached the gospel, he's writing this letter because there were some people that followed behind them saying to them, listen, those guys shared with you the truth, but there's more to the story. They shared with you the good news of Jesus, and we believe in Jesus, but there's more to the story. And these people were called the Judaizers. And they believe that, no, well, Jesus is okay, but there's more to the story because you need to become Jewish to become a Christian. You need to follow the Jewish laws. You need to follow the Jewish traditions. You need to become circumcised to be a follower of Christ. And what the Judaizers did is they came in after Paul and Barnabas, and what they had did is they had they have said, listen, there's more to the story. And so Paul has gotten word, so he's writing back to these believers saying, okay, you can almost get a picture here that Paul's integrity, that Paul's relationship with the Lord, that his, on behalf of who he's speaking, had been challenged. Because that's one of the reasons he establishes up front who had sent him. That's one of the reasons up front he said, I want you to know who has sent me. See, they were saying that Christianity is Jesus plus something. You need to watch out, guys, when you hear somebody is Jesus plus anything because it's Jesus period and look at what he goes on to say in chapter in verse 3 there may God our father the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace what's grace unmerited favor what's another way of what's 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 grace another definition what is what is grace what did you say mr. Jim God's gift it's giving us something that we don't deserve, right? Giving us something that we don't deserve. That the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace, something that we don't deserve, and peace. Verse 4, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned. How many times do we think that our Father sending his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross was a secondary plan? wasn't a secondary plan. It was the primary and only plan. It was plan A. There was never, a, it wasn't a last ditch effort, but it was the plan from the beginning. And he goes on to say, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, verse five, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. But the word rescue didn't mean to take us out of the world. It didn't mean to remove us out of the world, but that we would no longer be enslaved to the world. Because when Jesus was praying for the disciples, he said, Father, he said, I'm not asking that you take my disciples out of the world, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. That we were rescued so that we wouldn't have to be enslaved to this world any longer. 
but not to take us out. Because if he take us out of the world, what happens? We have no impact in the world that God has called us to reach out to. I mean, it, it feels really good to remove ourselves, but God called us to go into the world, not to remove ourselves from the world, to rescue us from, from the world. Why? Not to be enslaved to it, not so that we would be taken out of it. And we were saved and rescued. Why? To bring glory to the Father. Let me tell you what. You want to be a light for Christ? Be a Christian in a dark place. If you want to have an impact for Christ, gathering on Sunday morning is great. Live for Christ in the workplace. Neil, live for Christ when you're in the, in the prison system. Or Carl, live for Christ when you're in the workplace there at Munns. Or Terry, man, when you're doing somebody's floors, or you're doing ceramic, or whatever you're doing, live for Christ in a dark place. Unbelievable light. I remember one time um, I, was, uh, I was working with, uh, as a sheriff's chaplain in Seminole County, and I happened to be working a, uh, a prostitution sting that night on the other side of the railroad tracks with some guys. And I was with the catch car. And uh, we had a, a young lady that was, that was playing the prostitute that night. And I was there as the chaplain for the sheriff's department. And I remember she got in the back seat of the car and she looked at me that night. And she said, um, she was a computer programmer by day, but she wanted to work with the sheriff's department eventually. And she looked at me and she said, you're different from the rest of these people. You're different. Do you, do you ever understand and believe that when you interact with people, that people can see whether or not you're a Christ follower. Do you ever believe that? Man, I believe that so, so wholeheartedly that as you go into that dark world, people can see that we are different. Look at verse 6. I am shocked. He now gets down to the nitty-gritty here. I, this is who I am. My name is Paul. This is my, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you with the brothers and sisters of uh, my brothers and sisters, those of us that are believers, and I'm writing back to you. And this is what I'm writing to you about. Now listen, I'm going to tell you guys, I'm really shocked. This is what he says, I'm, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. What is mercy? We said grace was what? Grace was giving us something that we didn't deserve. What is mercy? Withholding something that we do deserve. And as sinners, what do we deserve? Amanda looked down at the ground on that one. Yeah. Separation from God. Punishment. And he says, I'm shocked. And he said, and he said I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through his loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends. You are following a way that sounds good. You are following a way that seems logical. You are following a gospel, that, something that feels right. You are following something that may be, may be popular within your family and friends that are living there. You are, you are following a different way that pretends to be good news. But it's not good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. 
See, Paul had come and taught them that salvation was by grace. It was a gift. It wasn't something that they could be, it was, wasn't something that they could earn. That Christianity was a result of God's grace, giving us something that we didn't deserve. His work. We weren't saved because of our performance, but because of God's unfailing love demonstrating through his son Jesus Christ. Salvation was, was not something um, to be earned on our behalf. It wasn't, it wasn't Jesus plus being baptized. It wasn't Jesus plus being good. It wasn't Jesus plus my knowledge. It wasn't Jesus plus my works. It wasn't Jesus plus my intentions. It wasn't Jesus plus my denomination or my guidelines or my religious rituals. It wasn't Jesus plus attendance on Sunday morning. It wasn't Jesus plus giving. It wasn't Jesus plus anything. It was Jesus, period. Salvation was only available through what Jesus Christ did. And that was the, the gospel that, Jesus, that, uh, that Paul preached to them. Grace from the Father through the Son to those of us that were sinners. But if we're honest here today, if we're honest, truthful, there's definitely a temptation to look past God's grace and to believe that our efforts have something to do with it. Are you with me? If you're really honest with me today, and the reason that you'll say that is because it's just not logical. It doesn't make sense why somebody would pay the price for me so that I might live. We might think this, but we won't say it. If I just tweak my life just a little bit, if I make a couple of adjustments in my lifestyle, then maybe I'll be acceptable. If I just attend church just a few more times. But the truth is this, our righteousness, our relationship with God only comes through Jesus Christ. That was the true gospel. That was what Paul had taught them. But he said, listen, he said, but you're, you're falling into something that somebody else is telling you that pretends to be good news, but it's not good news at all. A false gospel is this, anything that diminishes God's role and, and elevates man's abilities. We think, we come to a place to think that we can close the gap on our relationship with God that has been caused by our sin. That if I do a little more, I'll be okay. If I do this or if I do that, the false gospel says we don't exist to bring glory to God, but God exists to bring glory to us. The false gospel elevates man and reduces um, God's goodness, and it elevates man's goodness. The true gospel, on the other hand, elevates God and helps us see how bad and sinful we truly are and how much we need a Savior, that we're unable, incapable of coming to God on our own efforts. It just doesn't make sense. But it's the truth. It's the gospel. I love the passage of scripture that the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 59, 1 and 2. And this is what it says. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. There are those out here that think that you're so far away that there's no way that God could ever forgive you and ever love you. That you aren't, you aren't capable, you aren't worthy of, of being loved. He goes on to say, nor his ear to death to hear you call. There's some of us that think that, that the Lord won't hear us when we call out to him. Verse 2 says, It is our sins that have cut us off from God. Our sin is what separates us from God. But the true gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came to die for us, 
and that he hears us and that he will save us. And those sins that has cut us off from God, that he will forgive us. Paul said it this way when he was talking to the Christian Gentiles and, and Jews there at Ephesus. He said this, once you were far away from God, but now you've brought, been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. See, for the Jewish people, for the Jewish believers, they thought that it was the heritage and their traditions and their, their rights that, that made them right with God. And it was the Gentiles that said it's our positions, our power, our achievements that made us right with God. And you know what? It's awful easy to allow spiritual pride to slip in there, isn't it? And again, come back to a place of thinking that our salvation has something to do with us when it doesn't have anything. It's a gift from God. With that in mind, I want you to look. If you're at a place and you can turn to 1 Corinthians 15, I want you to look at this passage because Paul outlines uh, for us what the true gospel truly is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's in the New Testament. Um, falls after, uh, after Acts and Romans, 1 Corinthians within that area, 1 Corinthians 15, and where Paul expounds and he talks to us in, about the issue of the gospel, and this is what he says as he talks to those there. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to who? The believers that were there. Dear brothers and sisters of the good news I preached to you before, you welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message that I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So Paul had gone to Corinth and this is what he preached to him, verse 3. I passed on to you what, what was first, what was most important, and what also had been passed on to, the, to, the, to me. And understand this, he didn't make any modifications at all to what he spoke. He didn't make any additions, he didn't make any deletions, he didn't edit it, he didn't manipulate it, and he didn't change it. He just gave us what had been revealed to him. And who revealed it to him? Jesus himself. Where did he reveal it to him at? On the road to Damascus. He didn't teach it because he'd heard it from somebody else. He taught exactly what he'd been taught. That's why he was, came in the authority as an apostle. So he says, I taught you exactly what had been passed on to me, that Jesus died for our sins. Why did Christ die? That's a question. Why did he die for our sins? Just as the scriptures said, according to the scriptures, what Jesus did is he came and he authenticated, he authenticated the good news because he came and fulfilled what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. That he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures had said. And Paul said, listen, he said, I want you to know that this is all true because I've seen it with my own eyes. Put yourself in the situation of Paul speaking here. Put yourself in the situation and even begin to understand with the boldness and courage that Paul would have been preaching and teaching with. Unbelievable confidence that he had. And he said, this isn't just another story, but I was an eyewitness to an event and I share with you specifically what I've heard. And because of what Paul had experienced, this is why he said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Anybody in here ashamed to, to stand up for Christ? Anybody in here afraid to, to, uh, to talk to somebody else about your faith and about what is the transformation that took place in your life? Somebody in a small group asked me the question the other day, Diane. They said, has there ever been a time in your life 
where you've been afraid to be, to, to share Christ with somebody. And I wanted to be really spiritual, Mike, and say, no. And then the Lord started revealing me, to me times in my life when I've not been as bold and courageous as I needed to be for Christ. You ever had that event where you had the opportunity to stand up and to be bold and courageous in your faith and instead of being bold and courageous you sort of molded yourself back into the, into the crowd? I wonder why we do that. Prior, Paul said prior to this statement in, in Romans 1.16 he said this. He said uh, about being ashamed he said I am eager and willing to share. I'm eager to come and to share with you. Why was he so eager? Because Byron, his life had been radically changed. It had been transformed. I mean, if somebody were to save us, to what extent would you want to share that story? I mean, if somebody were to actually rescue you, to what extent would you want to be able to share with everybody your gratitudes towards that person that had rescued you or that group of people that had rescued I mean, you'd want it to be a movie, wouldn't you? I mean, you, you wouldn't have any doubt standing up in front of a group of people. I mean, for teenagers, they wouldn't have a, 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 a doubt at all standing up before their peers and talking to their peers about, about let me tell you what happened in my life. For those of us that are in the workplace, man, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. We wouldn't have a, a doubt at all. We would stand up very quickly and share what had taken place. And we wouldn't be ashamed and we wouldn't be afraid because we knew without a shadow of a doubt what we'd experienced and what had taken place. And I think what Paul was saying to us is that we don't need silent Christians. We need people that are willing to be faithful. And for those of us that are desiring to leave a heritage of faith, that will only come as we're bold and as we're courageous. Galatians chapter 1, 6. Let me go back and read it again because, again, Paul says, I was shocked that you're turning away so soon from the one who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be good news. Verse 7, but it is not good news at all. So here are these new believers. Paul has told them what they needed was the, was the word. What they needed to do was spend time in prayer. What they needed to do was to gather together and talk about, about the journey in Christ and what it was like to live a Christian life. But all of a sudden, they've got somebody from the outside coming in and saying, oh, well, listen, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to look like this. You need to act like this. You need to dress like this. And how many times do we do the exact same thing in our churches today? If you just act this way and dress this way and smell this way and look this way, then everything's going to be fine. No. We'd say the same thing that Paul would have said. You need to spend time in God's Word, and you need to spend time getting together with a group of people and talking about the journey in faith because it's tough, it's difficult. Because it's the Holy Spirit that is our leader and our guide. He's the one that convicts us. You can convict me. You can talk to me and tell me what I need to do and the things that I don't need to do. But when the Holy Spirit convicts me, it's something that changes me. I've shared with you this before. I remember as a teenager, when I was a young teenager starting in college, I went to bars not because I drank, because I loved to dance. 
And I remember. I will tell you this. I have never drank. I've never drank, and I'm proud of that. Now, and there's a reason, there's reasons why I wasn't raised around it. Um, great, that's another story in itself, but anyway. <laughs> I've often heard, well, Sydney agrees with drinking. Let me just say this to you guys. Um, it's not going to send you to hell, but it's not going to take you to heaven. I don't drink because I wasn't raised around it. It's not something that's been a temptation for me. But I don't know if it's the best of things for us to participate in. It's not going to send you to hell. It's not going to take you to heaven. The Bible specifically talks about the overuse of. And the only times that I've ever been around it is the times that I've had to, to go to a parent and say, I'm sorry your kid's been killed in an accident tonight because they were drinking and driving. I'm sorry that your parent was killed, your child was killed tonight from a drunk driver. But I remember sitting in the bar that night um, and I knew, I knew I didn't belong there. But as I was sitting there, I can still remember where I was sitting at and I can even remember looking in that direction. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart and my life. And you have to understand this, guys. I was in ministry at that time. Are you with me? I was in ministry at that time. But I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me, and this is what he said. You don't belong here. And I thought to myself, I don't belong here because I'm not like these people. I need to remove myself because I had been set apart. And I knew that there was a call on my life early on. And do you know, Bart could have come to me 50 times and told me that as an a 18-year-old. And I'd have looked at you, Bart, and I'd have said, I appreciate that, man. That's really good. Thank you very much. And I'd have went on about my way. But when the Holy Spirit spoke to me, it did something to me that night. And it changed me. Not to rescue me, take me out of the world. That wasn't the deal. But to keep me from being enslaved to the world. There's freedom that comes in Christ. But that freedom does not give us a license to live in sin. Paul says in verse 7, You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Or the NIV says, Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion. It only takes one person, one false, one false prophet to cause tremendous amounts of chaos and conflict. That's all it causes. One person that comes in with, a, with an agenda, a cause, a special word from the Lord, and all of a sudden, they begin to throw people into a loop and to, a, to, to divert them from the truth. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants to twist the truth of the gospel, to take things, take our focus off the truth and begin adding things to it. Human works, other stuff, agendas or movies, movements or causes. He wants to twist it. And Paul draws a line in the sand, guys. He draws a line in the sand and look at what he says. I want to tell you how serious about what I'm saying. Verse 8, let God's curse, let eternal punishment fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one that we have preached to you. That's pretty bold. He said, if somebody comes to you and preaches to you something else than is other than what I have preached to you, the good news of Christ, let them eternally be condemned. 
If anyone comes in and preaches to you something that's different than the true gospel, let them be punished. Remember that Satan knows more about the Bible than we do. He knows the truth. And that is exactly why he wants to take our focus off the gospel. And he wants us to satisfy our thoughts with works. I love what Paul says when, he, when, he, when, when we go back to the, um, the book of, of Acts. There was a group of people that had heard Paul and Silas preaching. And they were a group that were called the Bereans. And the Bible says the Bereans went back after Paul and Silas had preached and they held what Paul and Silas had preached. They held it up to God's word to see if they were talking about the truth, that they were telling the truth. And you know that you need to do the exact same thing. You don't take what I say as gospel. You don't take what Brian says as gospel. You hold, up to, hold it up to God's word and you see if this is the truth. That's really important. Extremely important. And Paul goes on in verse 9 and he repeats himself again. He says this, I say again that we have said um, what we have said before. If anyone, who is anyone? Anyone. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one that you, that you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Let them be cursed. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. I'm going to skip really quickly to pass the scripture. You don't even have to go there. Because Paul said this right here as he was getting ready to leave Ephesus. He talked to the elders there and, and he sort of gave them a pep talk. He said, listen, I want to tell you about something. This is really important to me. And I'm going to leave you with this message. And this is what he tells them there, the elders. He gives them their marching orders. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed the shepherds, God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch. It's what Paul said, my constant watch and my care over you by night and by day and by many tears for you. And now I entrust, to, I entrust you to God in the message of his grace. Paul said there are three types of people that you're going to find in the church today. There are sheep, there are God's people, there are shepherds, the pastors that oversee them, and then there are wolves that try to eat up the sheep. And Paul said this, Men will arise from your own number to distort the truth and lead many astray. Be on guard. Be on guard. Be on guard. Verse 10, obviously, he says in Acts chapter 1, obviously I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant to you. And so here's Paul writing back to the church at Galatia with a warning. He's caught, caught wind that the Judaizers have come in and tried to, to preach a false gospel, that, that they had to become like Jews. They had to convert to Judaism, and they had to practice the, the Jewish laws, and they had to practice the Jewish culture, and they had to be circumcised for them to be saved. And this would eventually cause a tremendous conflict within that area that takes place with the council in there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, if you'd like to read that this week. But Paul's writing back to the church to say, the church that he planted to say, I want you to know I love you, but you better be on guard because somebody's preaching something that's not right. It's false. It's false. There's only one good news, and that's salvation by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And that truth will never change. And 2,000 years later, the truth is still the same. 
And it's the truth that we hold on to here at Heritage, Heritage Community Church. I love what Paul says, what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He said, I have an agenda, guys, but it's not my own. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work that, that assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. There's a lot of stuff, guys, that I don't understand. There's a lot of theological questions. I'll have to go sit down with Mr. Jack, or I have to sit down with Byron, or I have to sit down and talk with, I have to call Milo and say, Milo, give me some information here. Because there's a lot of stuff that I still don't have figured out. But this is one thing I do know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That the fact the Bible tells me that for all of us are sinners, and there's a price to be paid for sin. But God demonstrated that love for me when I didn't deserve it. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That it's not by my works, but it's by his work that I'm saved. Be careful of the person that wants to multiply the requirements, Jesus plus. Be careful of the person that divides the body instead of bringing the body close together. Be careful of the person that adds to the word. There always seems to be something else that needs to be added to God's word. Be careful of the person that subtracts the importance of Christ that says he was just a good man because he is our Savior and he is risen.